You're listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a World Affairs Council conversation with authoritative voices discussing significant newsmaking issues and individuals. Sponsored by Greenberg Traurig, LLP. This afternoon, we are at the Park City Club, and you may hear some background noise. I want to thank General Hayden for joining us. Welcome, sir. Thank you. We live in a post-truth environment. We, referring to the United States, are the most destabilizing force in the world, and I'm scared. These sobering quotes came from you, sir. Yeah. Retired Air Force General Michael Hayden is our guest. He directed, during his government career, both the National Security Agency and the Central Intelligence Agency. In addition to being National Security Analyst for CNN, General Hayden is now a principal at the Shertoff Group and a visiting professor at George Mason University. He is the author of The Assault on Intelligence, American National Security in an Age of Lies. This is a candid and detailed analysis of the impact that the Trump age is having, not just on our international stature, but on the very foundation of our democratic institutions. Sir, when someone of your experience and stature describes our country as destabilizing, it's a cause for alarm. Does your concern start and stop with President Trump? Oh, no, no. And, and you use the phrase Trump age. And fair enough. I mean, Donald Trump is president and obviously his name's attached to it. But I take a lot of time in the book to point out that the, the fundamental shift here is us, not him. Uh, that he's effect, not cause. And, and what's gone on within American society is a shift in the direction of the Oxford Dictionary's Word of the Year in 2016, post-truth which is decision-making based less on fact, data, evidence, more on feeling, preference, emotion, tribe, loyalty, grievance. Now, the president identified that actually brilliantly and exploited it uh, during his campaign and still does during his presidency. But the fundamental issue is us and, and how we broadly think as a society. So if you think of it as a three-layer cake, the biggest layer is us, the second layer is the administration, and then the third layer are the Russians who recognize what's happening in the first two layers and try to exploit it. Now, like my wife, you are a loyal Pittsburgher. <laughs> and so, in a sense, a bar in Pittsburgh was your laboratory. So I, you know, I spend most of my life talking to people who think and sound like me. And obviously not everyone did it because President Trump was elected president. So I asked my brother if he would get some of the folks in Pittsburgh who were Trump supporters in the uh, back room of a sports bar in the North Hills. And he overachieved. We got about 40 or 45 folks there. Some were relatives, some I had grown up with, all had similar backgrounds to me from the same part of the city. And we talked for two, two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. And my wife told me on the way up there on the turnpike, now don't get into an argument, just ask these people their views. Don't ruin the Thanksgiving give them dinner. Open, <laughs> yeah, give them open-ended questions. And we did. And you know, uh, salt of the earth, more veterans or parents of veterans in that room than any green room or boardroom I've ever been in. But tribal, angry, thinking based on grievance, news sources, uh, from sources that I, I would not be comfortable with myself, alt-right media, Facebook, argumentative, agended sites and so on. I'll give you one example. I, I just said to everybody, come on. Who thinks Barack Obama really wiretapped Trump Tower? A whole bunch of hands came up. I go, whoa. I said, I used to run NSA. That didn't happen. I mean, I know how that can happen. I know that it wouldn't. I know that it couldn't. The plumbing doesn't work that way and so on. What makes you think this happened? 
And one woman in the front row kind of put her arms out, shrugged her shoulders and said, Obama. But when you and said it, it didn't happen, did yeah. she believe you? You know what? In a post-truth world, that's not an interesting question. All right. In a post-truth world, it's true whether it happened or not. And, and I, that's precise. That's the, exactly the thought I want to communicate. And, and that's what we're seeing. It may or may not be fact-based, but it seems to touch on a deeper truth, which they then embrace. And so it really doesn't matter whether it happened. Now, some people have suggested you really need to have like almost a committee of scholars and maybe government officials who would try to identify what is the truth. I don't know that would ever be accepted. Yeah. So how do we get over this? Number one, we clean up our own political dialogue. I mean, we get less tribal as a people, less hateful. We try to get folks who actually stoke this fire for local political advantage to stop doing that or to create penalties that when people do that, there are costs to be paid. But over the long haul, it's education, it's patience, it's dialogue, it's respect, it's, it's all those things. All things that we may not have right now. Right, right, we don't. We have just a few more minutes, and I, I certainly want to ask you about Korea because that's a country right. where you live twice. Right. Clearly, I, I've read some of your articles, and you state pretty clearly that you don't think that North Korea is going to give up its nuclear no. weapons or nuclear I mean, capacity. No, nobody I know of my background thinks they will do that. And certainly we saw yesterday in some reports all yeah. across. Yeah. So what's the next step? Um, you know, the summit was okay. Let a little air out of the bloom, which is a good thing. Mm. I could fill the rest of our time complaining about this and that and the other yeah. thing, uh, kind of giving Kim Jong-un legitimacy, acceptability, absolution. So he wanted a better... Yeah, oh, oh yeah, yeah. No question. Uh, that said, though, this is a better off-ramp than some of the things we were talking about six or eight or nine months ago. And so... If this is the beginning of a process where we may have an opportunity to not go to zero, but to limit, put under greater control, slow down or stop additional testing, put in good safeguards with regard to proliferation. I, I guess what I'm saying is it may be an opportunity to stabilize the problem, even if it's not an opportunity to solve it. Yeah, I read a really interesting article in Foreign Affairs a few nights ago, and it was entitled The Long Shadow of 9-11, mm -hmm. in which the two authors, Joe Feiner and Robert Malley, write, excessive focus on terrorism disfigures American politics, distorts U.S. policies, and in the long run will undermine national security. In your best estimation, have we put too much focus on terrorism, and is that perhaps opened up doors for, for Russia? The answer is yes. Mm -hmm. All right. And, and uh, it's no one's fault. I mean, there's no, there's no guilt here, maybe responsibility, but certainly not guilt. I mean, we responded to what we perceived to be the needs of the, of the moment, and that includes myself. But even I knew why I was in government, that we had to open up our aperture. There were a lot of other things that were important that we were not giving due consideration to. And so, yeah, that's, that's right with regard to kind of the collection and analysis of intelligence. It's also right with regard to the priorities of the government. Barack Obama had a tough time with this, and I've been a critic of, of many of the things in the Obama administration. But one of the things I, I think that got him in trouble is view on the importance of terrorism, which I think were technically correct, but were not shared by most of the people of the United States. And so he then looked indifferent and cold to their concerns. And that actually then creates the opportunity for a candidate like Donald Trump 
to step in and say, I'm going to be really, really tough. And I'll, I'll be very, very candid. He mercilessly hyped the level of the terrorist threat during the campaign for his own personal and political purposes. As he does with his immigration. Southern border so, yeah, is the same, border, right? same dynamic. We have just another minute, and I want to ask you, and you touched on this, why do you think President Trump has such affinity for strong-arm dictators? I think they represent the kind of ruler that he pictures himself to be. So when he talks to a Justin Trudeau who has to accommodate all sorts of factions within a coalition. In a democracy. When, exactly. When he talks to Angela Merkel, who's got the same issues, he, I don't think he's comfortable with that. And so when he talks to a Duterte or a Xi Jinping or a Putin, I, I think there is just an affinity there, almost an autocrat envy on the part of our president that he wishes he could govern that way, and for want of a better phrase, because that's the manly way to govern. General Hayden, I want to thank you for being our guest on Global IQ Minute. And let me mention to our listeners, The Assault on Intelligence, I really enjoyed the book, thank learned you. so much, you certainly focused on the election, the transition, and uh, your thoughts are uh, well worth us remembering, especially in this, as people say, unconventional time. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a production of the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. Subscribe and rate Global IQ Minute on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite app. For information about a World Affairs Council in your community, visit worldaffairscouncils.org. Global IQ Minute is sponsored by Greenberg Traurig LLP, a global firm with 2,000 attorneys in 38 offices across the globe. Visit the firm at gtlaw.com.